titled Energized by Grace for the Mission is for me just as much as it is for anybody else. We've been going through a series called Habits of Grace, and we, we looked at how we, uh, we go hungry for God to make room for Him in our lives. This is a habit of grace. Fasting is what it's called. We looked at how we uh, feed on God's Word through reading the Scripture, meditating on the Scripture, memorizing the Scripture, and allowing the Scripture to go deep within us. And we talked about having God's ear, being able to pour out our hearts to God in prayer. This is a habit of grace. We talked about listening to God and listening to one another, being slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to become angry. Kevin did a great job last week in speaking about being committed to the fellowship. It's when we gather together and we bring our part to the fellowship of the believers that we experience this channel of grace. We're built up, we're encouraged, and we encourage others. And this morning we're going to look at being energized by grace for the mission of God. I'm going to pray for grace and pray for us that God would move us onto his agenda and that I would clearly communicate this message. Father, we come before you this morning recognizing our great And we thank you that you supply that need. Thank you that you give us mercy and you give us grace. And so we come. We come for that. And we pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will. We pray that you would lead us on into your will, into doing your will, to discerning your will, into helping others do your will as well. Would you strengthen us with all power and all might for the mission that you have for us here? I pray for anybody who feels stuck or feels stagnant in their relationship with you in their Christianity. And I pray that you would bring revival. I pray that you would bring an awakening this morning in our lives. And may we see people come to you this year. And may we be disciple makers this year. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let me just first of all start by saying when I first became a Christian, God rescued my heart and something happened on the inside that was supernatural, that led me to to change my habits. God changed me from the inside out. I went from, from, from being a thief, a liar, using drugs, to somebody who preaches the truth, to somebody who gives, to somebody who loves others. And this was the work of grace, of salvation in my life. God rescued me out of darkness into His marvelous light. And immediately, I couldn't help but go tell others about this Jesus who had rescued me. Okay? I, I got, I had a little Toyota Celica, a nice, I was 17 years old, and I got a cardboard sign that says, Jesus loves you on it. And I would keep that on my dashboard. And I had, I had my, on the back of my car, 
there was there was no room for anything else except bumper stickers in my license plate. Because I had all these Jesus bumper stickers. I wanted to be a driving billboard for Jesus. And I wanted to redeem the time any way that I could. And I had some cheesy bumper stickers. I had a bumper sticker that said, I never drive faster than my angels could fly. I had a bumper sticker that said, got, instead of got milk, got Jesus. I had a bumper sticker that said, the big bang, boom, God spoke. <laughs> I had a number of these bumper stickers. And in an effort to be a witness for Jesus, to tell people about Jesus. And of course, I had the fish. Now, now at time, I can't say that I was always the best driver. Even though I had all the, the stickers on the back of my car, I wasn't always driving according to the speed limit. Um, but but I, I, would, I would hold that sign up and I would honk my horn. And if I would see somebody having a bad day, I would hold that sign up and honk my horn and smile real big and say, Jesus loves you, right? And, uh, and, and even sometimes, I remember a few times I was on my way to work and I would, I would get late for work because I would see somebody stranded on the side of the road and I would stop to help them out as if I was like triple A, you know, like they needed me. You know, this was, this was I guess, around the time when cell phones were just now uh, taken off. I had a little Nokia Cell phone or beeper. I think I had a beeper when I, when I first got saved. Yeah, and so so. Anyways, I would I was just I would try to witness anywhere I could anywhere I could, and I would. It, one, I remember one time I was on the side on Highway 35 on my way to work, or yeah, on my way to work and on, on leaving work, and the traffic was just not moving, and I was like, I'm just gonna get out and just hold up this sign <laughs> in the middle of the median. Jesus loves you, and just unashamedly let people know that Jesus loves them. And, and you know, I, I didn't really care how foolish I looked, and, and I think I, I did make some foolish decisions. Actually, I stopped, I stopped carrying that sign in my front dashboard because I, I, I got in a little fender bender, and I know I caused at least one fender bender when somebody was looking at me on the other side of the road. And so I had a lot of zeal without knowledge. I had a lot of zeal without. I just wanted people to come to know Jesus like I came to know Jesus. I didn't know the best way to do that. I didn't know the best way to get the message out. So I just did whatever I could to get the message out. So I started using gospel tracts and started handing out gospel tracts. And I, I started to go down the deep elm with some friends on Friday and Saturday nights. And we would hand out gospel tracts and we would preach out there and we would talk with people and get in conversations and, and I tried to I tried doing a number of different things because Jesus had got my heart. He captured my heart. I had found something better than anything this world has to offer. And I couldn't hold back from telling everyone about this Jesus. I mean just imagine for a moment if you had the cure to cancer or HIV Okay, and, and you, you could help people who are sick and who are going to die from those diseases if you would share with them that good news. We have something even greater than that. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. That when people hear it and believe it and they receive what Christ has done for them, they will experience eternal salvation. You see, our God is a God on mission. And He calls us, His people, to live on mission for Him. 
when Jesus came into the world, he was all about doing the Father's business. He was all about doing what God the Father had called him to do, and that was preaching. He prayed, and he preached, and he made disciples, and he loved, and he served people. He brought the kingdom of God here on earth. And so let me just remind us that just the vision for this year of what what I believe the Lord has for us this year as we move forward. And that is to grow as healthy disciples who know Jesus, who are energized by his grace, motivated by his love, and who lead others to become healthy disciples. We say over and over here that we're, we're, our vision here is to know Jesus, love people, and impact your world. And so that's what we're about here. We're going to center on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And we're going to lead others to, to him and point others to him. And we're going to allow his love to sink deep within us and allow his grace to energize us for the mission. And that's what I've titled this message here today. Energized by grace for the mission. David Mathis in his book has a chapter on the Great Commission. And he talks about the Great Commission being a means of grace. You see, as we reach out to others with the gospel of grace, we will find ourselves blessed in ways that we wouldn't be if we didn't engage on the front lines. You see, as we step out, I'm often amazed and and surprised how God works in my life and through me as I step out when I don't know what to say or what to do, but I just show up to try to help somebody in need. And God gives me the words and God gives me direction and shows me how, how I can serve that person. Has anyone ever been on a short-term mission trip? If you've ever been on a short-term mission trip, no doubt you've experienced God working through you. Because you've made yourself available to be used by God to reach a people. And you've invested your, you invested your time and your resources and your energy and your prayers. And you went somewhere leaving your, the comfort of your own home, your own city. And you went somewhere out of, try, to try to reach somebody because you cared enough about them to bring the good news to them and serve them in some practical way. And so I think when, whenever we engage on the front lines, we experience the heart of God in, in a way that we don't experience God when we just sit still. You know, it's kind of like I, I like to ride mountain bikes. That's one of the things I'm, I like sports and I like mountain bikes. And I, uh, I like to take my family with me on bike rides if I can get them to go with me. Right. And uh, I've taken my son a number of times on the trails. And when, when he comes with me, and we, 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 when we ride on the trails, he experiences a different aspect of dad that he doesn't see as much. I get a little more wild on the bicycle, right? Because I, I, like, I like a good thrill, and I like to have fun. I like to ride bikes and enjoy. It's fun, right? And when we engage in mission, and we go out and we reach people, We experience the heart of the Father. We experience a different aspect, a different angle of the heart of the Father whose heart moves, whose heart is is compelled with compassion like Jesus, who's moved with compassion for lost and broken people. 
And so I'd like for us today to look at the example of the Apostle Paul. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. And we're going to just camp out here, and I'm going to kind of take us around Colossians a little bit this morning as we look at the missional example of the Apostle Paul. Paul said in Colossians 1, 28, he said, Him we proclaim... Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For to this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So here's our big idea this morning. God calls his people to missional living, and he accompanies and empowers us for the mission. He calls his people to missional living, and he accompanies and he empowers us for missional living. One of our values, one of the eight values that we have here at City Church is is missional living. We are people who live on mission. Because our God is a, is a God of mission. Our God is a God who sends people, his people. David Bosch said that to participate in the mission is to participate in the movement of God's love toward people. Since God is a fountain of sending love. David Mathis in his book Habits of Grace said that living on mission is not only an effect of God's grace coming to us. Through the channels of his word, prayer, and fellowship, but it is also, but it also may become a means of his grace to us in the whole Christian life. Living on mission may also become a means to, it's not only the effect of God's grace in our lives, not only because God has rescued us and captured our hearts, do we live lives on mission for him. But it's also a way that we experience the grace of God. We experience God moving. If you're stagnant in your walk with the Lord or you're bored with your Christianity, try stepping out to serve somebody, to reach someone, to share the gospel. You and I are made for this. And I don't know about you, but I come alive when I do. There's, there's this renewal that happens in me when I have what I call a divine appointment. And I take and, and I step out of my comfort zone and allow myself to be inconvenienced at, at a dinner time or at whatever I'm doing. And I take some time to engage somebody in a conversation and try to bring the gospel to them. I experience God working in me. My aim is to be a blessing to that person. But I experience God doing something inside of me that sets my fire, that, that stirs my, the, the, the passion that I have for, for Jesus. Because you see, you and I are made to be conduits of God's grace and love and truth, not cul-de-sacs. We're made to be recipients of his grace, but also conduits of it to, to others. And so let's look at Paul's missional what, why, and how from these two verses. He says, 
He, him we proclaim. That is Jesus. Paul was so Christ-centered. And as a church, we are as well. That's our aim. To be Christ-centered. Gospel-centered. And his, his, his message, he said, we don't preach ourselves, but we preach Christ as Lord. Christ crucified. Him we proclaim. That is who Jesus is. And what Jesus has done to bring redemption, to bring the kingdom of God into this world and into our lives and to destroy the domain of darkness. He's already mentioned this in chapter 1, verse 13, 12 and 13 and 14, that that Christ has qualified us to be partakers of the kingdom of God. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has reconciled us. Paul's already mentioned this in in chapter 1. This is what Christ has done. In verse 15, he says, referring to Jesus, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Him we proclaim. Look at Him. We gaze upon the glory of Jesus, who He is. Because He came and embodied and displayed on earth the glory of God, full of grace and truth. I love how the message Eugene Peterson paraphrases this section. He says, we look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and we see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels. Everything got started in Him and finds its purpose in Him. He was before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. When it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. You're you're in the body of Christ and you're sustained right now because Jesus is holding you up by the word of his power, by his grace. And we take comfort in that. We worship Him because of that, because of who He is. And we proclaim who He is to others. How many of you guys like puzzles? Okay. My sister loves puzzles and she likes to do puzzles with my kids. And uh, some of those puzzles can be really challenging. You get a, a thousand piece puzzle now imagine if you're trying you you get the puzzle emptied out and you're trying to put together this puzzle but one of the little kids in the house took the picture of the puzzle and he went and hit it and you're trying to figure it out you're going to have a hard time putting that puzzle together right you need a point of reference to get those pieces together otherwise you're going to be spending a lot of time trying to figure out what goes where 
Alright? And you see, Jesus, Jesus is our point of reference. He is the image of the invisible God. In Jesus, we see perfection. We see glory. We see beauty. We see things put together like they're supposed to be. In Jesus, we see reconciliation and we see redemption and we see, we find in Him that our lives come together. The pieces of our lives come together as they're supposed to. The brokenness in our being gets put in proper place in Jesus. He reconciles us with God and He reconciles us with others through His finished work on the cross. And He's our point of reference. So we proclaim Him. We want people to see Jesus, to know Jesus and get a glimpse of who He is. And repent and trust in Jesus and allow Him to do His transforming work of grace in their hearts and in their lives. Kent Hughes says this. He says that Christ-focused exposition progressively matures God's people as they learn to see Christ in all of Scripture. To understand that the gospel is as old as the garden. Moreover, because Christ is wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption, Christ-focused exposition presents Him as the source and sustainer of spiritual maturity. So here at City Church, we are going to major on Jesus. We're going to be united around the person and the work and the teaching of Jesus Christ. Now, sadly, that's not the case with every church. And I think it's unhealthy for any church to not focus on Jesus. Because Jesus is the head. And we're to hold fast to the head. We're to center our lives around Jesus, who is the head of the body of Christ. Sam Storms commenting on this says that if one were to look closely at many churches today and assess the shape and form of ministry... Verse 28 would likely need to be rewritten as follows. Him we mention only in passing, lest we offend seekers or sound excessively religious, rather than warning and teaching. We seek to please and entertain everyone so that they might feel good about themselves and be reassured that all is well in the world. That's not what Paul said he did. He proclaimed Jesus, him we, him we proclaim, warning every man and teaching every man, everyone, that we might present them mature in Christ. This was the what of Paul's missional aim. And let me also just point out, as we talk about habits of grace, that Christ is to be at the center of all these habits of grace that we're talking about. Now, our habits are discipling us, they're shaping us, and they're forming us. And we need good, healthy, gospel-centered grace habits. Habits of grace. Like, as we talked about, prayer, scripture, fellowship, and the word. But Jesus is at the center of all these, or he is to be. He's to be the center. He's the one that we put the most emphasis on. It's all about him, not about how long we've been praying and fasting. 
or how much Bible that we know. These are good things. Or how missional we are and evangelistic we are or how committed we are to the fellowship. These are good things and the Bible calls us to these things. But Christ is to be the center of those things. And from our abiding in Him and knowing Him and being known by Him and loving Him and being loved by Him, we respond with pouring out our hearts to God. We respond with inclining our ear to hear His voice. We respond with being committed to the fellowship. We respond with being energized and engaged in the mission that God has for us in bringing the gospel to every relationship. Now let's look at the the missional why, Paul's missional whys. We see his what, his why, and his how in these couple of verses. What was Paul aiming for in proclaiming him and teaching and warning everyone in all wisdom? His aim was, verse 28b, to present everyone mature in Christ. It was spiritual maturity that he was aiming for. He wanted people to be conformed into the image of Jesus, just like he was being conformed into the image of Jesus. Romans 8, 29. This is the destiny of every child of God, of every Christian to be conformed into the image of Jesus and to grow up in him and to bear fruit and reflect his glory on the earth and render him glory that he is due. That, that Greek word, mature, is teleos. And it's used 19 times in the New Testament. It can mean brought to completion, fully accomplished, fully developed, fully realized. Actually, some translations say uh, perfect. They render it as perfect. To present everyone perfect in Christ. Or perfect, yeah, in Christ. Complete, entire, um, as opposed to what is partial and limited, full grown or ripe of age, fully accomplished in Christian enlightenment. It's what Douglas or uh, Mounts um, is, is saying this applies to, or how it should be rendered. Perfect in some point of character without coming short in respect of a certain standard. And so, now, of course, as, as here at City Church, we don't believe in what's called sinless perfection. We don't believe that we're going to attain a level of, of sinless perfection while we're here. Because we're going to be in this process the Bible calls sanctification till the day we see Jesus. And we're being perfected. Right? He's changing us. He's, he's conforming us. But, but spiritual maturity and, and, and aiming to, to be like Christ... Or as, as Jesus said, be perfect, teleos, as your Father in heaven is perfect. This should be our aim. We're, we want to be like our Heavenly Father. We want to be like Jesus. And, and the goal in discipleship is to help others get there as well. Now, we, we can't take somebody somewhere that we haven't gone ourselves. We, we, can't, we can't impart to somebody something that we don't have ourselves. If we're still immature and bound up in our sinful tendencies, then we're, we're going to have a heart. We're not going to be freed up to help others get free. And so we want to be growing. We aim to grow ourselves as healthy disciples. And we're, none of us are perfect in it. 
But we're on a journey and we want to call others to come alongside with us. And when we fail, we, we look to the grace of God for help. When we fail, when we sin, when we blow it, we look to the grace of God for pardon. And we look to the grace of God for power to be who he's called us to be and to do what he's called us to do. And so let's unpack a little bit about a little bit about what these mature believers look like. Here's a couple of marks of mature believers. And this is what Paul was aiming for for Christians in the church. First of all, that they would be stable doctrinally. That they wouldn't be tossed to and fro like children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Ephesians 4:14. All right. He wanted the church is actually a large, a large, uh, um, a large part of his content in writing the churches was helping the churches get established and stable doctrinally, that they would be gospel centered, that they would be Christ centered, that they would be motivated by love and energized by grace. Colossians two, six and seven. And by the way, this is. Uh, Colossians two seven is the verse that the two seven series is um, is based off of. He says this. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You see, there were there were heretical teachings. There were there were uh, heresies and and and. and False narratives that, that were coming, that being shared and communicated to the churches and even to this church in, in Colossae. And the Apostle Paul was equipping and establishing the Christians there so that they can withstand the different waves and winds of doctrine that were coming their way. He wanted them to be rooted and built up. I was jogging this past week and, and when I was jogging this past week at a park by my house. I saw this tree, huge tree. It looked fully grown, and it was it was tumped over sideways. And no doubt it was from the ice storm that came through. But I just I thought about the root system in it. Actually, I went back the other day to take a picture of it because I wanted to share it this morning. But it was already removed. But this tree had too much weight up top, and it didn't have enough root system to su- support and sustain it from the winter storm. That came our way. And you see, this is what the Apostle Paul wants for us. Not that we're not that we're shallow, but that we're rooted, that we're grounded in the gospel and in our abiding relationship with Jesus, and that we're built up in him, and that we're established in the faith, so that when the storms come, we stand, we remain, we prove to be his disciples. We bear fruit for the glory of his name. And so mature believers are, are stable doctrinally. Notice in Colossians 1, 5 and 6, I love this. I wanted to share this about a month ago when I shared about growing in grace. Notice what Paul said about the Colossians. He said, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. This is profound. This is deep here. This is worth digging into and meditating on. 
When did the Colossians bear fruit, according to Paul's words here? When they heard it, when they heard the gospel, and they understood the grace of God in truth. They understood the grace of God in truth. And this is more about what Jesus has done for them. What Jesus has done to rescue them, to redeem them, to deliver them from the domain of darkness, to reconcile them with God and empower them to be who God has called them to be and to do what God has called them to do. May we be a people who understand the grace of God and truth. Now let's look at Paul's missional how. Paul understood it. He understood the grace of God that he got what he didn't deserve in salvation, that he didn't earn his salvation. And he also understood that God's grace was an enablement to help him to be energized for the mission that the Lord had called him to. This is how Paul carried it out, by working hard. But it doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, you know, I toil. For this I toil, struggling. He didn't, it, the verse doesn't stop there in verse 29. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all the, his energy that powerfully works within me. Now there is effort. There is sweat, blood, and tears that are necessary in following Jesus on the narrow and the difficult path. It's a narrow and difficult way. But let me just say this. It's not a joyless one. And it's not one that we travel alone without the empowering presence of God, without the energizing grace of God, without the the work and the help of the Holy Spirit within our hearts and within our lives. We have God working in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he said, I am what I am by the grace of God and God's grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more and more than the rest, than the rest of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So this this Greek word for struggling is agonismo. Agonismo. Sound familiar? Sound close to agonize? And it means to combat in the public games, to contend, to fight, to strive earnestly. I wanted to find a good... Um, picture for this of some wrestlers just struggling and fighting uh but yeah so i didn't (laughs) that might have been better for the men's breakfast rather than this morning right um but paul uses he uses this athletic term and he this is the only time he uses athletic terms to describe his ministry and discipline disciplining his body and putting in the effort and the hard work You see, following Jesus and living on mission for him does take intentionality. It doesn't happen by coasting, right? We do have to to strive and we do have to toil. But we don't do that in our own strength. We do that according, we are to do that. Healthy, mature Christians do that in the strength that he supplies. Rather than burning themselves out trying to make things happen in their own strength because we can do that too. And sometimes it's a struggle to find find that sweet spot and to find that rhythm. 
I mean, that's what I felt yesterday and today in preparing this message. Like, it just seems so ironic that I'm preaching on being energized by grace, and yet I'm like, I'm striving, you know? and, And Jesus says, come to me and learn from me, and learn from me the unforced rhythms of grace. As Eugene Peterson paraphrases it, the unforced rhythms of grace. My yoke is easy. My burden is life. Paul was seeking in the Colossian epistle, he was seeking to establish the believers there in habits of grace. Now, Paul, by the way, never met these believers. Somebody else led these guys to the Lord. And I'll I'll mention him here in in a moment. But look at this. Look, look in, in, in Colossians three. This was one of the message we, messages we focused on. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay, let it dwell in you richly. This is the channel of grace. This is the habit of grace for the people of God. We let Christ's word dwell in us. Okay, we have His ear. Paul uh, in, in Colossians four two. He said, "Devote yourself steadfastly to prayer." He called them to cultivate this habit of grace of being in the word and being in prayer, living lives of prayer. We see um, Paul calling them to belong to the body, to to be committed to the fellowship in the ways that he exhorts them to live out the relationships with love and humility, with, with peace and relationships. This is a habit of grace. And lastly, to engage in mission. In in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, he says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, just before this, Paul says, Pray for me that God would give me open doors to boldly share the gospel, to boldly proclaim the message. And then he exhorts the Colossian church, to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, to make the best use of their time, to in their speech be gracious. Think, how can you impart grace with your words? How can you be gracious in what you say to the outsiders? And be ready to know what you ought to say, what you ought not to say. Now, i got to admit, there's been many times where and trying to be a faithful witness for Jesus that I have said things that I shouldn't have said. And, or I've said maybe the right things in the wrong tone or the wrong spirit. David Garland, in commenting on this, he says that civility and graciousness can overcome the misgivings of neighbors. And make them more receptive to the message. Gracious speech forms a stark contrast with the sins of speech listed in Colossians 3, 8, and 9. And, and the cocky arrogance of the opponents who belittle the Christian's faith. So may we be a people who have grace on our lips like Jesus, who is full of grace and full of truth. Also, another mark of mature believers is that they struggle on behalf of others. Paul is a model of this. Okay? Paul is a model of struggling, toiling on behalf of others. Now, if you're a parent, 
you have an idea of what we're talking about here, right? If you're a parent of any age, you have an idea of what we're talking about. Now, this isn't exclusive to only the parents. Anybody can experience this by being a loving, mature Christian. But parents uh, experience this as, as we aim to nurture and raise up our children in God's ways. And at times it's a struggle, it's painful, it's challenging, it's sanctifying, it's humbling, right? And when we engage in the mission of making disciples, we're going to experience a level of struggle. We're going to experience a level of struggle. And mature Christians are those who have moved beyond their own struggles, not that they don't have them, but they've moved beyond being consumed with their own struggles enough to where they're thinking about other people and they're serving other people and they're taking responsibility for other people and investing in them. And Paul was one of those guys. He said, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those of Laodicea and for all who have not seen my face. I mean, Paul was experiencing all kinds of persecution. He was experiencing uh, external struggle. And he was experiencing internal struggle spiritually and just grieving over some of the things that were happening to some of the churches. Paul mentions uh, this other saint that doesn't get too much press, but here in Colossians 4.12, I think he has a very honorable mention. Epaphras, who is one of of you, a servant of Christ, Jesus, he greets you always struggling with. On your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, fully assured in the will of God. Now, here's a mature Christian. I mean, I don't know. We don't know a whole lot about him, but he's thinking about other people. He's he's freed up enough to pray for other people and to enter into a level of struggle in prayer for other people so that they can stand fully mature in the will of God. This is an important part of discipleship. It's not just proclaiming Jesus. It's not just warning people and admonishing people and teaching people and instructing people patiently with wisdom. But it's also praying for people. This is how Jesus disciple the 12 he prayed for them we have a snapshot of his prayer in john 17 of his prayer for the disciples and so let's be a people who by god's grace experience freedom personally in our own hearts and in our own homes where where, where we can we're, we're freed up to struggle on behalf of someone else let's grow up into that amen Another mark of a mature believer is that they speak the truth in love. They don't just proclaim Jesus, the truth of the gospel. They don't just warn people of the consequences of rejecting Jesus or warn people of adding to the message of the gospel like Paul did. They don't just instruct and teach, just lay the truth on people, but they do it in love. This is a mark of maturity. Kevin preached a little bit on this passage last week. Ephesians 4, it says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, so here, here's, here's immaturity, and here's, here's maturity. Rather, 
speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We are committed to this right here, saints. In our community groups, in our relationships, we are committed to speaking the truth in love. In, in evangelism and mission, as we engage people, we are committed to speaking the truth in love. Bringing the gospel to every relationship. This is a mark of maturity. And this is a means of growing into maturity. Aren't you glad for the brothers and sisters in your life who love you enough to tell you something that's embarrassing, that's a blind spot that you may not realize about yourself? And it stings and it hurts, but they love you enough and they're willing to take the risk because they love you enough to say, you got a log in your eye, brother or sister, right? We need that. This is a means of grace for us. This is how we grow. This is a mark of those who are growing. Let, let me just finish with a, with a couple of points from Dave Mathis' habit, Habits of Grace. He talks about the Great Commission, and he says, uh, in talking about discipleship, he says, Disciple-making shows us our smallness and God's bigness. Disciple-making challenges us to be holistic and what he means is this is that discipleship is both disciple making is both organic and engineered, relational and intentional, with shared contact and shared content, quality and quantity time. I thought this was so good. He just pointed out that many of us tend to be super relational or super intentional. And you gotta have both if you're gonna be an effective disciple maker. Parents, if you're gonna you're gonna help your kids grow up in a in a healthy way, you gotta be both relational and connect with them, and aim to winning their hearts. But you gotta be intentional. You just can't let them have fruit snacks for breakfast every morning and ice cream, and and, and make choices that are not good for their lives. <laughs> my my son is pushing back here. <laughs> And, and so we got to be holistic in our disciple making, both intentional and relational, organic and engineered, planned, strategic. Disciple making uh, makes us more aware of our sin. I thought this was a great point here. It's more than truth speaking, it's life sharing. You see, as, as you get close with people, as you commit to investing your life into another person's life so that they can grow up in spiritual maturity, you're going to be confronted with your own weaknesses, just much like parenting. You're confronted with your own sinfulness and your own weakness and your own selfishness and your, your touchiness and your, your preferences and what you like and what you don't like. And when somebody takes the last snack that you wanted and how you respond to that, the last fruit snack or cookie, how you respond to that. Disciple making uh, gets up in your business when you're doing it Jesus' way. When we're living missional lives. We let down the guard where we're, where we're known. I love, I love in Mark 3.13 it says that Jesus called those he wanted to be with him. And then he sent them out to go preach. Right? And so that's the model. We're, we're with and then we're sent. We're with Jesus 
and then we're sent out. We're, we're with mentors or disciple makers or with those that we're mentoring and we send them out. We encourage them. Okay, now it's your turn. What we've just done, the content and what we've, what we've gone through, the experience, the sweet time of fellowship and connection and talking about the gospel and talking about spiritual discipline and talk, studying books of the Bible or whatever you're going through as you're discipling the purple book. Now it's your turn to do that with somebody else. Were you blessed by that? All right. Now it's your turn to do the same thing. Invest in somebody else. That's what Jesus did. And that's what he commissioned his church to do as well. And lastly, disciple making teaches us to, to lean heavier on Jesus. Now let me close. Let me close with a couple points of application. I see the clock. And I'm trying to redeem the time. Be intentional about living on mission by making a prayer list for lost friends, neighbors, co-workers, and praying for them. This is one of the activities within the 2-7 series in two weeks. Those of you who are showing up for that on Sunday mornings, I think in book two, is that right? Book two, you make a prayer list for, um, for lost friends, co-workers. You pray for them. Co-workers, neighbors, family. And you, you pray for them. You, 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 you spend some time thinking about them and they're, where they're at and you, you write their name down and you pray for them. And then be bold and gracious in speaking up and bringing the gospel to every relationship. Don't just pray for people. Pray that God give you boldness to go to them and have a gospel conversation. And look for common ground. Ask questions. You may need to listen a lot more at first. I think that's an effective strategy. Ask questions and let there be a, a conversation. It doesn't, the, the proclaiming Jesus doesn't have to be you with a bullhorn on a street corner proclaiming Jesus or on a dart train proclaiming Jesus. I've done that. I love doing that. But I love just the conversations with somebody at the gas station or the supermarket or at Chipotle or wherever I'm at. And I'm engaging in a conversation about Jesus and asking questions and trying to bring the or the park the other day uh, with a young couple. And there's this one young guy that I keep running into around town, and I'm looking forward to him showing up here on on a Sunday morning. I ran into him again this this past week. I said, "Man, I'm praying for you, bro." Um, and lastly, commit to investing your life into the life of another person. By meeting regularly on purpose. Now this can happen uh, through community groups. This, is, this can happen through relationships. If you're in a place where you feel like you need somebody to mentor you and help you take next steps in following Jesus, don't be ashamed or shy to ask for that. If there's somebody that you admire, somebody that you want to learn from and grow from. And if you, on the other side, if you feel inclined to try to help somebody... And their walk with the Lord. Now, I, I know it can come across presumptuous to be like, man, you know, can, can I disciple you? Can I mentor you? Like, I know that can sound like, man, who are you? Right? Especially if, you, if the person thinks like, well, look, can I disciple you actually? You know, if it's, <laughs> if it's like, I think I'm further along than you, you know, or I'm older than you or whatever. Now, let me just say this, that going to make disciples isn't something that we came up with ourselves. Jesus came up with that. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. 
So it's not some presumptuous thing where we're just, let's, 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 let's make some converts and make some disciples. Right? It's something that Jesus has commissioned the church to be a part of, to engage in. And let me just finish with this last quote. This is from Tim Chalice. Tim Chalice and he has an article about just being a little further along and walking with somebody that, that, that's just a little further behind on the journey that you want to help with. Because I think this can help you as you think about walking with someone else. And, and, and note, note this, that if you're, if you're discipling somebody, inevitably you're going to be sharpened and encouraged and be built up through that relationship. There are going to be ways that your life is going to benefit from the person you're pouring into. It just, that's a kingdom principle. It just works like that. You know, you give yourself away, you lose your life, you give up comfort, you, you sacrifice, and you find yourself more encouraged, more blessed, growing more yourself as you're doing that. So he says, what most people need and long for as they face trials and encounter questions is simply the dedicated attention of someone who is a little bit further along. The listening ear and gentle voice of someone who is a few steps ahead on the path of life or the, the path of ministry or the path of suffering or the path of parenting. So let's pray. As I say a prayer, if you would just um, just ask God what what He's saying to you, or what is His most pressing issue with you right now that He wants to speak to you about. Some of you are already walking in this and doing this. You're fully engaged. You have a little margin for more. And you just need to be encouraged to keep going. Some of you may feel weary and overwhelmed. You may need to be encouraged that God's grace is sufficient for you. And you do this not because you've arrived, but because His strength fits perfect in your weakness and He's called you to it. It's His idea. And so, Lord, would you renew the vision that you have for us to be a people on mission. And may our joy increase as we participate in the mission. May we, um, for the joys of the peoples that experience the gospel, the good news of great joy, and for the glory of your name. All this has been created by you and for you. God, may we make it our aim to grow as healthy disciples, who lead others to, to grow as healthy disciples for the glory of your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you.
May he be gracious to you. May he lift up the light of his countenance upon you. May he give you his peace. If anybody would like prayer or would